You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The White House warns of large-scale Russian cyber attacks, browser-in-the-browser attacks, a new Conti affiliate is described, Android malware face stealer, Microsoft and Okta investigate possible lapsus attacks, Arid Gopher is out in the wild, our guest is Swati West of Bar Advisory on opportunities for the underrepresented in cybersecurity, Joe Kerrigan wonders if we can't just get rid of passwords once and for all, and advancing censorship by finding extremism and russophobia in Meta's platforms. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. The U.S. is directly warning that large-scale Russian cyber attacks against American and other Western targets are likely. Russia says it's not going to happen. NBC News quotes Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov, The Russian Federation, unlike many Western countries, including the United States, does not engage in state-level banditry. End quote. Most others are not so sure. President Biden yesterday issued a general warning to U.S. organizations that intelligence suggests a coming Russian cyber campaign. Quote, This is a critical moment to accelerate our work to improve domestic cybersecurity and bolster our national resilience. I have previously warned about the potential that Russia could conduct malicious cyber activity against the United States, including as a response to the unprecedented economic costs we've imposed on Russia alongside our allies and partners. It's part of Russia's playbook. Today, my administration is reiterating those warnings based on evolving intelligence that the Russian government is exploring options for potential cyber attacks. End quote. An accompanying fact sheet stresses the importance of familiar best practices and offers an aspirational set of longer-range policy prescriptions. A brief statement from the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency indicated that CISA would rapidly share information and mitigation guidance to help organizations, large and small, protect their systems. The Department of Homeland Security added, Organizations can visit cisa.gov slash shieldsup for best practices on how to protect their networks, and they should report anomalous cyber activity and or cyber incidents to report at cisa.gov or to an FBI field office. The U.S. administration hasn't said in detail what the evolving intelligence was showing. Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technologies Ann Neuberger said at a media briefing yesterday 
that more had been shared with sectors most directly at risk. She said, quote, You've seen the administration continuously lean forward and share even fragmentary pieces of information we have to drive and ensure maximum preparedness by the private sector. So, as soon as we learned about that, last week we hosted classified briefings with companies and sectors who we felt would be most affected and provided very practical, focused advice. End quote. The briefings and warnings issued yesterday were intended to raise that broader awareness and to raise that call of action. She added, quote, There's no evidence of any, of any specific cyber attack that we're anticipating for. There is some preparatory activity that we're seeing, and that is what we shared in a classified context with companies who we thought might be affected. And then we're lifting up a broader awareness here in this, in this warning, end quote. So, there's more than a priori possibility underpinning the warning, but the threat remains a preparatory phase. Browser-in-the-browser attacks, or BitB attacks, are being observed in the wild, Leaping Computer reports. BitB attacks use pre-made templates to create fake but realistic Chrome pop-up windows that include custom address URLs and titles that can be used in phishing attacks, creating fake browser windows within real browser windows, to create convincing phishing attacks. The technique is thought to be readily scalable, and it should be expected to have a popular run in the criminal-to-criminal markets. eCentire reports finding a new Conti affiliate it's found engaged in two operations. Quote, The speed and efficacy of both the intrusion actions and the infrastructure management indicate automated, at-scale deployment of customized Cobalt strike configurations and its associated initial access vectors. Customization choices include legitimate certificates, non-standard CS ports, and malleable command and control. End quote. Pradio warns of an Android malware strain that's infested Google Play. The researchers call it Face Stealer. Its main goal seems to be theft of Facebook credentials, and say it's affected about 100,000 users. Google is purging Face Stealer from the Play Store. The principal vector has been an application crafts art cartoon photo tools that makes connections to a Russian server. As Microsoft continues to investigate an apparent attempt on some of the company's Azure DevOps source code by the Lapsus Group, Okta discloses that it's investigating the possibility that it, too, may have come under attack by the Brazilian gang. Deep Instinct describes a new member of the Micropsia malware family. They call it Arid Gopher, Note that it's written in Go and say that it's operated by APTC-23, Arid Viper, a threat group interested mainly in Middle Eastern targets. And finally, Reuters reports that a Russian court has officially found that Facebook's corporate parent, Meta, was guilty of extremist activity, and thus its operations in Russia will be severely curtailed. Facebook and Instagram are out, but WhatsApp can stay for now. In its defense, Meta argued that not only was it not extremist, but that it was in fact opposed to Russophobia, but the court foreseeably found otherwise. There's no word on whether Meta will appeal, but doing so would seem to be an exercise in futility. Once a Russophobe, always a Russophobe, especially if a Moscow court says you're the one.
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Swati West is healthcare and privacy manager at Bar Advisory. She earned a master's degree in aerospace engineering before pivoting to healthcare privacy and compliance. I recently spoke with her about taking a seat at the table and mentoring the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. I mentor, you know, a couple women from women in cybersecurity organizations. It, it is amazing, and they come from different facets of life. They do come from different careers, and we always have these discussions. Right? I'm not able to discuss in a team meeting that I want to say. So I think having that seat at the table. I know that's so. That's emerging. Everyone's talking about that. You know, having a CISO chair at the board meetings to like having a say at a team meeting, right? I think women inherently we have that imposter syndrome. We're like, oh, we're not good enough. So I think we do still struggle with that. And I think um, you know, opening up and having those leaders to be like, hey, what do you think? Taking a step back and be like, hey, what do you think? Or do you have? Um, anything to say, like that's how we bring in different perspectives to the table. And that's how we can grow as an organization or uh, just uh, the world in general. So I think uh, helping each other, I would say, so I, I totally agree. I think that stats are a little bit scary, but I do see with at least the women I talk to, they do still have that, oh, I'm, I, I don't think I'm good enough. I mean, no one's good enough, right? Everyone's learning and everyone's Googling what's what's happening in the world. So I think it is more of like, being in that leadership, just taking a step back and be like, hey, what's your perspective that you bring into the table? So I think um, thinking about that would really help in this time of need. 
What's your own personal experience when you were transitioning from engineering uh, to security and privacy? Did you did you find people welcoming? What what, what was your own uh, personal journey there? Yeah, yeah. So I I started like I said aerospace. I I looked for jobs and then United Health Group is where first I started my career and um, with the security and everything like that. I, I learned, um, like I said, in the job itself, but it was scary. Um, I'm not going to lie because when we did audits, I, I was an auditor then, used to go ask all these questions. But I moved to Cardinal after the whole auditor side of things. And I actually learned how much it goes into security. Like it is so hard. I mean, we don't bring in any revenue at kind of a different mindset, right? Oh, you're just wasting money sitting on the table or something like that. So that changed from 2015. There was a struggle first in my career to be like, hey, no, this is important, right? Right. I mean, penetration test is important or scan is important or we have to do certain things. Timeout's important if you're in the healthcare industry. So from that to... 2022, I mean, healthcare data is most expensive data that's out, out in the world. And you see there are more data breaches that's out in the world. I mean, Colonial Pipeline, you see Kronos that happened recently. So everything that's happening changed the tone. So I would say initially when I first started my career in cybersecurity, there was a lot of learning. There was a lot of teaching that went into, went into it. But now I think there's a lot acceptance in the world. Like, yes, this is important. We have to do certain things because, you know, we create that panic. We created a lot of panic when Colonial Pipeline happened. So they know, everyone knows that it's important. It's just not breach. It's like not affecting an organization. It's going to affect everyone. So I think uh, for security professionals now, there's a lot of um, understanding that happened. So it's a little, it took a while for me, but now I think uh, we're in a space that everyone accepts this is important and we have to do the right thing for everyone else in the world. What's your advice, uh, you know, for that young woman who's coming up through college or maybe someone who's older and considering a career change? Do you have any words of wisdom there to encourage them to to hang in there? Yes. I always go by this. The one thing I tell is don't be intimidated, right? I'm sure even a CEO or a CIO, a CTO, they'll still have to learn something. There's Everyone's always learning. So don't be intimidated to take that first step. And it is not as tr- old traditional way of like thinking it's a ladder. It is a jungle gym, like, um, you know, Cheryl said in a book, Lean In. So I would say, you know, just if you have an opportunity, take it, learn. And there's so many other certifications or self-learning, just knowing the terms, right? Knowing those terms um, help. And my first job, I, I did a lot of learning before the job or interviews to so just learning what's going on in the world, just talking about a breach. And if you're interested in that and be like, why did this happen, right? That curiosity. So, you know, that's what I would say to these, all these young women or anyone changing career, just have the curiosity to learn and um, you'll, you'll succeed. That's Swathi West from Bar Advisory. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Interesting story came by. This is from Wired, uh, written by Lily Hay Newman, uh, and it's titled A Big Bet to Kill the Password for Good. Oh, we can hope. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So what's going on here, Joe? 
So the Fido Alliance is saying that they have a uh, an idea here. The Fido Alliance is a large uh, a large alliance of companies. Fido stands for Fast Identity Online. Yeah, and the idea is we're going to get rid of passwords and essentially just use cell phones for authenticating people to their devices hmm. or to to their accounts, rather, not to their devices. So because cell phones are so ubiquitous right. and they have all these security features built into them now, right. uh, you know, the the secure enclave, the, the processors that are capable of doing these cryptographic al- algorithms, yep. why not leverage that to make a secure way to log on that doesn't involve passwords? Mm. So we've reached the point now where, thanks to all those things, again, the ubiquity of these devices, right. also the fact that they have biometric Biometric, capabilities. yeah, that's right. Big, yeah. Uh, big thing is, like, for example, uh, I have a Microsoft Authenticator on my phone. Mm-hmm. When I log into my Microsoft account, my, my personal Microsoft 365, the home and business account, a home and student, that's what it is. I don't use a password to authenticate to that. I use my Microsoft Authenticator app right. to get access to my Microsoft account. And they, mm-hmm. they essentially say, we're about to send you a code on your phone. And on my phone, there's a code. And, uh, and before I can access it, I have to push my my thumbprint, put my thumbprint on this terrible Google Pixel 6 fingerprint <laughs> reader. Okay. I don't know why they changed it. The one in the Pixel 3 was so much better. This one's awful. But you digress. Um, but I digress, right. Um, once I've authenticated biometrically, I can enter the right code, and I'm into my Microsoft account. Right. There has been no password exchanged. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. I mean, it, when it works, it works great. Right. I, I, I'm similarly, you know, if, if I if I have the opportunity to enable, uh, like, Face ID, which I use I use an iOS device, I'm all in on that. Right. You know, it seems like, see, strikes me as being secure enough, but, boy, is it convenient. Yeah. And Face ID is actually a really, really good biometric authentication device. Yeah. Right? I mean, it doesn't just take a picture of your face and see if that's you, right? See if it matches some some model that it has. It has two cameras. Uh, it takes a 3D image of your face, mm-hmm. right? It checks to make sure that there's a pulse flowing through your uh, through your face. Yeah. It actually does that. I mean, that's one of the things it looks for yep. by examining the red uh, part of the spectrum that comes through. And then it authenticates you. So you can't you can't have somebody that's uh, you can't make a 3D model of somebody's face and show it to the to the uh, to the camera. That won't work. You can't use it on a dead person. That won't work either. Right. There's all kinds of different. Oh, and it does a lot of uh, a lot of checking on eye movement as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's remarkable. All these things are great. You know, but I, I've I've said my piece on this on this show and on hacking humans about biometrics. So I won't go into that and bore everybody with that again. But it's interesting. This article also talks about how this data is kept in the cloud, mm-hmm. right? And it's secured on the cloud. It's encrypted. Uh, so when you when you need to get access to it, you have access to it. Right. You get a new device or you lose your phone or it's damaged or something like that. Uh, it's relatively easy to get up and running again. Right. The one concern I have about this is that it shifts the focus to the, the iCloud account, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I can trick you out of your iCloud account, I can get access to a lot of stuff that you have. Well, I, I don't know how Face ID works, uh, but like the biometrics on this phone, I just got this Pixel 6 a couple months ago. Yeah. And when I had to set up my biometrics on here, it wasn't, oh, we have your biometrics on file. Let's see if they match. It was, let's go ahead and set up new biometrics for you, Joe, mm-hmm. uh, because this is a new sensor. Right. So physically it's it's a different device and needs 
me to re-enter it. So it, it's that that information is not stored in the cloud; it's stored in the device. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing. Yeah, I mean, the, and like on iOS devices, it's in the secure enclave, so right. it doesn't go to the cloud. Like right. your your actual biometrics don't go there. Right. And that's probably by design. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably a good design decision as well. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't stop somebody from setting up, getting access to your Google or Apple account and then setting up biometrics and then having the secure enclave on the phone say, yep, these biometrics are good. Yeah. What do you suppose the transition is going to look like here, though? As as If, if indeed we're going to move away from passwords, right. there's going to be a transitional period. And right. if there's one thing we know, uh, it's how people feel about change. Yeah, they hate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's – here's what I'd like to see Yeah, is uh, – Passwords be listed as deprecated authentication means, right? Mm-hmm. We don't, you know, like like we do in, in software development, when we have an old function or method in a library that's no longer used anymore, that gets marked as deprecated, right? Which means it goes on your to-do list of stop using that, start using the new one. Right. And do that with, with this authentication means, right? Get rid of your password and change to this new FIDO standard and be on board with it because we're deprecating passwords. Right. We're going to give you escalating warnings over time right. that uh, <laughs> exactly. time's and running out. <laughs> new accounts, when they set up, they uh, they have to use the FIDO device, right? Mm-hmm. Or the FIDO, the FIDO standard. So if our new accounts don't give you, don't even give you the option don't of, give going, you the option with, of yeah. going with the password. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, it's an interesting article. Uh, Again, this is over on Wired, written by Lily Hay Newman, uh, talking about this new white paper that the FIDO Alliance has put out. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.